After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling. Raghu Marcus here with uh, my sometime co-host around matters of uh, social action, particularly Jared Gagan Levy. Hi, Jared. Gagen. Hi there. Nice to be with you. Yes, same here. And he's introduced me to somebody who I met over the last couple of years, a couple of times at. Uh, at SVN, Social Venture Network, which we're going to talk about. Joel Solomon. Joel, welcome. I'm really happy to be here with both of you. Joel's written a, a pretty cool book uh, that has some outstanding implications, and it's called uh, The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism, which is... That's just a little thing that he's devoted his life to. And uh, I would have to say, is it not uh, quite relevant with everything that's being highlighted all around us due to the uh, the new administration and what's going on there? Uh, so I think the book really actually speaks. Uh, it's just right timing, is it not? I mean, I don't know if you had this in mind. You wrote this before the election. You know, I, when, when we wrote the book, I talked to the publisher and I said, I don't know, I think this guy could get elected. Uh, you did. Will I be able to do a postscript? You know, can I do a postscript? What if it happens? And uh, when it came time, I was so, I was shocked for so many days. I was in shock and I, I, I they gave me a chance and I, I couldn't really, I, I didn't know what to say by then. <laughs> I just let it go. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, what could you? What could one say? Oh boy! All right. Well, let's start with the, at the very beginning. And uh, what is? What are we talking about? Clean money, and uh, yeah, just just edify that for us. Okay. Well, clean money is a direction and an idea, and the point is that we do have significant choices, whether we're consumers or we hold wealth. We've got bank accounts. We, we might have a little bit of retirement money. Uh, we are actually connected to that money. Where did it come from? Who and where did it affect? And then as we spend it or use it in other ways, how is that money representing our values on our behalf out in the world? That's the basic premise. Mm. One step further, I think that most of us would accept that the world is facing significant crisis. The people alive today are the first ones ever in the history of the planet to be able to destroy or damage as much as we are due to industrial revolution, technology revolution. And we, we're losing track of the past and the future. And money plays such a dominant and influential role on everything about society and many things about our lives that we need to be more conscious. We need to understand what our relationship with money is and what its impact has been or will be. And we need to take responsibility to look after the future and think long term with our actions while addressing our personal needs for security and putting a roof over our heads and feeding our children and 
all those daily activities. We need to really look at the whole picture. Mm. In uh, in the book, the first line about w- what is clean money, at the very beginning, clean money is money aligned with the purpose beyond self-interest, which is kind of an oxymoron for the most part, right? I mean, yeah. so... Uh, well, I'm... Yeah. I mean, I... We, uh, well, I'm... I'm make, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking that a lot of what we represent and we try and work with through the Be Here Now Network and all the different podcasts we have with all these fantastic teachers is dealing with our self-interest. And, of course, money is a, certainly a huge um, elephant on our shoulder on, on in, in, in terms of self-interest. I mean, that... Uh, is clearly one of the most significant issues uh, in terms of the Buddhist uh, canon and the, um, you know, the disturbing emotions and thought patterns and so on. Greed, of course, is a major one of them. So uh, when we're going after um, thinking that we can come from a place of... uh, that is not primarily of self-interest re- related to money. I mean, that is a is a very um, complex premise right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I I would say that both of these terms are aspirational, and it's important that we have high aspirations, and that we think about the bigger picture while we think about ourselves. So. If we, st- if we need to set our aspirations somewhere that is inspiring, and when we look back from our deathbeds, left us feeling proud and good about what we did with our lives. Mm-hmm. So there's no perfect clean money, there's no perfect people, and there's no perfect uh, generosity or, or uh, management of self-interest. But we, we deal with this complexity in everything that we do, no matter what the topic. Let's say how we treat those that we care the most about. Our behavior is hopefully at its best there. Why not apply that to the people at the other end of our money mm. as well? Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and I think that you, you talk about in the book, it's uh, early also in the book, under the a chapter subchapter waking up the idea of the extraordinary inequity that's going on and the resentment and so on that takes place which is obviously in our age has been fueled dynamically all around the world so it is an absolutely crucial issue maybe you know I'd love to hear from you a little bit about you know, the manipulation that happens to create this resentment and, and inequity um, with our standard definition of uh, money and power. Yeah. Maybe size of population and scale is, is making it hard, harder for us to just have a clear sense of morality and ethics and how we want to be in the world. Maybe uh, technology is taking us away from from the human heart and direct human connections. There are many reasons that things are more challenging at this particular time in evolution. Hmm. But we, we, we still, not, we nonetheless have responsibility, as uh, I like to say, as ancestors. We are creating the world that will come after us. I believe that most people in history lived with that central tenet, that they respected the people who worked hard and went through all kinds of uh, difficulties in order for those of us today to have a good life. And uh, I think it's important that we remember that and that our aspiration becomes to be loving and kind and have integrity in all of our actions. And that's for our own peace of mind and well-being, and that we do that and share that with the others who, who are in our lives and beyond. 
So for me, it's a it's about a bit of a of a lost path where perhaps the modern era has pummeled our consciousness such that we revert, we get we get afraid, and from fear does grow greed. There's a question that I found for myself that I like to ask, which is, how much is enough? And for those who are struggling to have enough, blessings to you. I, I, I understand, and I, I have no question that you, you need to do what you have to do to take care of the things that matter to you. And nonetheless, there's a human, there's a human factor and requirement that whatever we believe about spirituality, religion, uh, before our lives and after our lives, how we, how we are as who we are in the time that we have makes a big difference in, in really in every direction. And money should not be exempt from that examination and practice. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some wonderful stories in the book, Joel, about you growing up and some of the things that happened to you you uh you had a particularly uh, a major health confrontation that i think was in i usually ask people when i when i do these podcasts what were the things that you know as you were a, a young person growing into adulthood what are the things that triggered you to actually realize there was a path beyond material senses ego and so on that you then pursued. You know, for me, I tell a famous story of, of seeing John Coltrane, uh, my famous <laughs> story, of seeing John Coltrane and having a, you know, an out-of-body experience when I was like 16, right. 17 years old, and then the psychedelics and all of that. But yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what it was that triggered you into uh, you know, a, another consciousness, another vantage point, and then how how it came together to you to w do the kind of work you're doing around with money at, at this time in your you know for most of your life. Well, there's a tableau answer to that. Uh, some had to do with family. I was fortunate to have a father who was able to, as the child of an immigrant, uh, build his way as an entrepreneur into being able to provide well for us. And by the time I was moving to my mid-teens, his business started to become successful. So that did give me a certain set of opportunities and privilege to uh, get education and be exposed to things. Very, very importantly, my mother is, is uh, my mother's an artistic photographer now. She taught herself in her late 30s and went on to a, a great deal of acclaim. And she's collected and shown and published and she gave me a perspective on the world. She traveled to all parts of the world and photographed people of all classes and circumstances. Um, and that gave me an, a, a, an additional eye into the rest of the world. So that was important. Secondly, my context in the late 60s as turbulence and lots of questions were being answered, even in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I was feeling that. There was an important evening when my parents were out and I was watching the Democratic Convention in Chicago when the police riots happened mm. and the chanting, the whole world's watching, the whole world's watching. Mm -hmm. And hundreds of thousands of young people out in the streets. And I would say that was one moment of consciousness that was important where I was aware of being aware and thinking just how profound this was and how unsettled I was and that I was inspired at, at how I would, with my life, uh, be contributory. And I'll skip ahead to, in university, uh, I had the really interesting and wonderful honor to be able to work in the Jimmy Carter for President campaign uh, from the very beginning when he was at zero in the polls. I watched a very well-meaning, uh, high-values high person go all the way to the White House with a strong intention and who seemed to carry a, a certain kind of consciousness that was deep and meaningful. 
and I got a lot of exposure to Jimmy Carter, and uh, th this began a next, a next level. And just after that, I was diagnosed with the family genetic kidney disease that comes through my father's side. I knew that most of the, those family members had died fairly young. And uh, the diagnosis at the time was this will progress at some pace. There's nothing you can do about it. You may die soon or you may live long. And that, uh, that really kicked the next level into gear. And I chose not to go into the family business. I chose not to go to the White House. And I took off to seek and search and wanted to understand what the purpose was of my life and what did I really want to accomplish. And I felt that I needed time to experience being in my body, being, being in nature and that I needed something to uh, step outside the norm with, and I guess you could say to find myself and find my direction. So I carried on to study uh, an, exotic, uh, an esoteric uh, gardening method called French Intensive Biodynamic. I went to, went to uh, West Sonoma County in California, and that was quite a consciousness shift just to uh, move geographies and go deep into the soil and all the factors and elements around plants and soil. And from there, I, I did a lot of reading. I got myself into a caretaking position of an orca research laboratory, killer whales, mm. on a, in a remote location up the British Columbia coast, and spent three years in a lot of silence and in deep exploration in, of nature and, and box loads of books of all kinds of wise people, politics, gender, uh, history, all, all, all kinds of things. And I came out of that with one key revelation. So this is the culmination of the story, which is I was struggling with questions of gender and uh, power and uh, privilege and, you know, all of those things back in, we're talking uh, – early 80s. And I realized that for me that what was going to be the most important thing about having what I had was that I not squander it foolishly and that I do something that really matter. And because I'd been brought up around money and business and finance, that uh, I would go back in and experiment with the possibility that business and money could be a powerful force for good. Mm. And that uh, led me on the pathway that uh, has me here speaking with you today. Huh. You know, it, in the book, it, you talk about a poll of the famously values-aligned millennial said that businesses have a responsibility to build a better world. That hasn't changed much as they've entered the workforce 61% of millennials in senior positions say they have chosen not to undertake a task at work because it went against their personal value or ethics. And you say it's a global imperative. It's an awakening driven by love. Money, finance, and wealth management have ignored love for too long. Love is our antidote for fear and despair. Love is a shorthand way of saying that we must show we care by acting on our values, ethics, and morals for ourselves, our families, all life on the planet, and the future. And, uh, well, we have somebody here who is purposefully here to represent his generation, Mr. Levy. <laughs> the top end of that generation. I love how you lumped me into that millennial generation I time and time. I think I got it by like a day. Yeah, He's well. a good representative of anything. <laughs> anything yeah right yeah what do you, what do you I mean, think is, it's, it's a great conversation to listen in on because i'm i mean i love joel you know i, I, I in the thinking here i i read the book when it was before it was printed and it just i you know i feel it's so interesting because some of these things that i see on an individual level you know uh, uh levels of attachment that i work on in my personal life and then I work on it in my business as well. And it's like almost every self-help book you can read for yourself, you could apply to business, you know, your business in some way. 
And um, when I when I look at this and I think about, I mean, I, I love the the vision here because it's um, it's a vision of a of a new world where um, you know folks uh, and and businesses really do see uh, clean money as a long term uh, risk mitigation strategy. You know, it's this isn't this isn't um, and it's been positioned. One of the disservices, I think, that some of the impact investing community has done is kind of position some of this as it's it's like a do good. And then, you know, you might have to not not that we've positioned, but it's been positioned in a way of do good. You may sacrifice a bit in your return on investment. And I and I and I just don't see that as the case. And I think that Joel's leaning into a you know, he's an example of how that is not the case. And he's leaning into um, uh, a, a way to to bring that to life personally, but also through his through his fund and now through his thought leadership um, uh, to to you know lead by example so you know for me it's a um, yeah it's real aspiration to to be on here with with you and talking about this and do you want to bet on fossil fuels or renewables do, do you want to bet on uh, food full of chemicals or organic food and, and do you want to bet on uh, green buildings that uh, are, are low or zero emissions or do you want to uh, bet on uh, energy hogs? Like these things with 7 billion people going on 10 billion people and everybody's lifestyle trying to increase, we've got to be smarter about how, we, how the economy is done. And anybody that thinks those are poor long-term investments – needs to take a look in the mirror, shake their head, because we're not, we can't keep going the way we are, and the price will start to show. You can disguise it with unfair public policies. You can push the tax burden onto those who can afford it least. You can cut social services. You can accumulate money, but you, if, you, you may have a, well, <laughs> I don't know if I think there's a hell, I, th I think here's what I think hell would be that my great great that my great great grandchildren look back and say, what was that buffoon doing? What what were they doing? Hmm. So that's huh. a, there's 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 no concessionary returns necessary to invest in what matters. And so how I mean to bring it back to the to the personal you know because because I think. You know, there's this way that I want to show up in the world, you know, and, and we all want to show up in the world. We have these 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 um, intentions of who we want to be. And then every once in a while, maybe you realize you're a little off that path. You maybe made a choice or a, you consumed something that wasn't perfectly in line with that path. And, you know, here we always talk about, you know, bringing yourself back with non-judgment, with 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 laughter, but bringing yourself back and having that awareness. So when that, with money. You know, because because, you know, and and the attachment to this kind of, you know, deity almost that has, you know, um, come to life in our society. I mean, what is right. some of the practice that you've done over your life, you know, personally to work with that, um, you know, to to work with that, to, to be able to to um, to have a healthy relationship with money? Well, number one is to ask oneself on a regular basis, how much is enough? Second question is, if I have some, how does it represent me in the world in a way that I'm proud of and that is aligned with my values? The third is work-life integration. Be sure that you create a life that's got love in it, that's got nourishment and rejuvenation and inspiration. And not everyone gets to do that. It's not, not the karma, really, of, of everyone or the opportunity in our structural impediments. However, it's well known that often we see that those in the most difficult conditions actually seem to have a better idea about love and well-being and happiness. But nonetheless, we all have to struggle with this. So in my life, it, it was a factor of of coming to understand my inner self, my psychological and emotional self, my spiritual self. And without going into full detail about all of those, I just say I'm a strong believer that the examined life is a better life.
And we all have the opportunity to look at ourselves and understand what motivates us, what inspires us, and what allows us to be peace, peaceful, peace-loving human beings. You know, there's something um, that is such a great description in this book, Joel, uh, from somebody who is a contemporary and I think a good friend of yours. I mean, I only know of him. I know of him through Ramdas, uh, and that's Roger Milliken, Jr. Oh, yes. And uh, I just have to read this one thing because it really says, this coming from someone who, like yourself, is really trying to make a change in, in this world. Yeah. Uh, he says... It's, a, it's about holding tenderly the mystery that binds us together, which is hard to articulate, but unmistakable when we feel it, be it, a rumbling, be it rumbling with a belly laugh, sobbing with pain, or quietly feeling the attunement of our grants committee with a large pur- larger purpose. It's about a radiance which increases as we come closer to who we can be and what we can do as individuals within our own communities of family, friends, and work, as a community of loving, committed friends, and as a foundation dedicated to our using our inner and outer wealth to help our hurting world heal itself. Inner and outer wealth. I mean, I think this is really beautifully said by him. So beautiful. Um, I guess what occurs to me uh, is, and we're going to talk a little bit about SVN and Threshold and your involvement with both of these organizations, which I'm quite familiar with. Um, But I guess I know, like, when we go to SVN, uh, uh, the first year I was there, uh, Jared arranged for Ramdas. He did a video with him, and that was shown at the beginning of the convention and so on. And he, he reiterated the fact that no matter what you're trying to do, using the uh, the fantastic interconnectivity of all these people at this conference, and all coming there with a single-minded purpose to really help our hurting world heal itself. I mean, I think that's, uh, I love the way that's put. And Ramdas said, but we cannot forget doing the work on our own hearts while we are working in outer social action, and uh, I just, what what does that mean? How how has that had an impact? Because I know you you were at SVN from very early stages, I think, right? Oh yes, at the founding meeting. Right. Okay. So of, that uh, can't get in earlier. And 40. by the way, uh, Social Venture Network. Just give a here. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jared. Give us a a one liner on Social <laughs> Venture Network. Social Venture Network, um, you know, it, it's it's really a uh, community of folks that are using business as a force for good, and uh, some of that is um, supporting each other and and leaders in leading businesses that are truly, you know, triple bottom line businesses, uh, thoughtful in and kind of all aspects of their business around planet, uh, you know, people and profit. Um, and, uh, some of that is actually galvanizing, uh, the, uh, folks there to actually, uh, work on more systemic change initiatives. So, you know, um, big, uh, you know, American sustainable business council, for instance, grew out of social venture network as an advocacy group to, uh, to represent a triple bottom line business on the Hill, you know, in, in DC and, and so on. And, and then there's groups like Bali that's, that's working in local, you know, living economies and B Corp, which is, you know, you can now get certified as a triple bottom line business and on and on. So that's, that's what it is. But really, it's a it's a tribe of folks that do try to bring love uh, into, uh, into their into their business. And we all have a a lot of fun together as well. Mm. You just gave away my business school. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really important to, uh, yeah, to, to, to be at the knees of uh, people that were on this path. Mm. Right. 
But what did you find from those early days? Obviously, I think Ramdas was around then. Did you? How did? How did you yourself respond to the idea that um, you know, simultaneous to the the outer work, there had to be everyone individually working on themselves? Was that something people really recognized back then? I think that they did, and I, I described to you earlier in my journey that I had gone into effectively a almost isolation and contemplative period, uh, caretaking, uh, <laughs> watching uh, killer whales in a remote spot. And, and so I was inclined to that direction. Uh, and so coming to, and business, I had a negative impression of business. I, I have to say that a predecessor organization, the Threshold Foundation, it was was working on issues of uh, philanthropy and uh, personal issues around money and asking a lot of deep questions about that. So I had the benefit of some kind of ecumenical spiritual thinking uh, that was that was interfacing with you know actual practical things in the world. So when uh, in the discussions that preceded SVN, we there were some of us that said we need to talk about business and and uh, money in this form as well as philanthropy and uh, the personal issues around money. And the threshold community made a decision at that time that they were more interested in the philanthropy and the personal issues. And I understood that. In fact, I was, uh, I think I was president of the organization about this same time of, of threshold foundation. So when Josh Mailman and Wayne Silby and a group of people called together a lot of the threshold members, but others to, go talk about the issues of money, but with business, uh, and that we, we need to continue looking at ourselves and working on our internal values and uh, understandings. That just resonated with me, and it was, it was ideal. I didn't know how to do all of it at that point, and therefore the need for a tribe, so to speak, or a, a place to learn and people to bounce ideas off of, but I got to see the beginnings, the earliest stages of the organic food movement, the clean household products movement, uh, healthier childcare in, in uh, large companies, and a lot of businesses that um, broke the mold and were getting patted on the head as if they were romantic idealists. And... Um, just as an example, I ended up making early investments in Stonyfield yogurt and seventh generation uh, household cleaning products, you know, non-toxic uh, household products. And both of those companies lost money for a long time and were kind of considered, you know, dreamers. And uh, we've, I, we've made tremendous uh, financial upside on both of those investments that were very small at the time. And this is being repeated now over and over again as those uh, kind of outlier ideas have popularized and become real industries. So the whole SVN balancing the external with the internal uh, really became my life practice. Mm. Wonderful. Um, there's another part of the book, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about this, uh, again, Jared, for those who have, uh, you know, great opportunities presented to them or thrust upon them, the right school, the high paying job, CEO, discernment can be strangely difficult. There are big pressures to conform. So this is all around what we face. It's so deeply entrenched the ways of doing business and the ways of thinking about money. Um, the pressures to conform in spite of the voice inside us that says, I really don't want to do that. Often our family and those closest to us can't give us the advice we need at those turning points. As our society, culture, and economy dramatically transform in the years to come, more and more young people will be called upon to trust their ideals and instincts over the propulsive inertia of the expected way of doing things. To me, this is probably the most gigantic mountain to climb. And you, you're right there, Jared. 
I mean, it's but it, it it is, and it's also it is being climbed and traversed by a lot of millennials. I mean, you're seeing words like purpose really enter the workplace in a massive way, and. Um, you know, uh, what I've learned with my business is, you know, there's all kinds of agencies, you know, in San Francisco. I mean, I have a creative agency that works on building movements like this. And um, there's all kinds of agencies that offer, you know, tons of money and and benefits like, uh, you know, insurance for your dog and stuff like that. I mean, it's competitive here in San Francisco. <laughs> but uh, but, but the I benefits need that, that I can by offer, the way, OK. I know you yeah, will write not me and tell me about I need insurance for my dogs. Okay, want to hear about that? <laughs> um, well, you know, and but the but the benefit that that they can't offer that that I can offer is that purpose, that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You know, that there there's the ability to find your mission and your life's work and a movement that that um, that you can really contribute to here in, in you know in a, in a larger way. Um, right. So. I'm, I'm seeing, you know, yes, there are the golden handcuffs still in existence. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I do my best, but I certainly, um, am, am still affected by a very ambitious, you know, Jewish upbringing where you excel at everything and, you know, strive and, Mm -hmm. and succeed. And I, and I, and I fight against that daily, you know, um, to, to, and, and a lot, and the last thing I'll say, and I want to turn it over to Joel, but, you know, in my life right now, what I'm realizing is the no's feel a lot better than the yeses. The the no's are are feeling I'm feeling really strong about no's um, and, and getting very clear on where I need to spend my time. And it is certainly not in this kind of, um, you know, uh, sleepwalking, uh, daydreaming stupor of, of doing things because that's how they were done. Right. Why, if we if we can find our way, the aspiration and then the reality of finding our way to be in work, where we can make the choice of no and and yes to things that have purpose and are meaningful to us, that that seems that's I'd say that's worth a billion dollars to me. I, I like I, if I, if I had if I had it, I'd pay a billion dollars to be able to be aligned with my purpose. And have that be my daily work. Uh, why would why would I, I do anything other than that? Given the option. Yeah. Um, and just going on from there, you talk about money. Is, well, go ahead. I, I mean, I, I was just going to say. I mean, this is this is hard stuff. I mean, it's like you know, this is the stuff that. I think I have so many conversations with, with people about, um, you know, they, they've got their, their, uh, their practice, right. Their sadhana in the morning, they wake up, they do meditation, they do yoga and these things. And, and that's what they consider their, their, you know, the practice. And then they enter their day and they go potentially work for somebody they don't respect in a place they're not respected for, you know, uh, a mission that is, uh, that, you know, isn't in, in, in connection with their life's purpose. And so, I mean, it really, to your point of like getting solid internally and doing that work, I mean, it's amazing to hear Joel's story of, you know, going and being with the killer whales and gardening and, you know, um, and, and coming back to a place of what I'm guessing is, is, is stillness and, and certainly where you can actually uh, feel that truth start to emerge and then, and then actualize that out for in the world for yourself. And then, you know, start to um, uh, look around and, and, and be with others that are, that are on that same ride and on that movement of, you know, towards clean money and, and other, you know, purpose-driven movements and, uh, and support each other in, in, in your personal journeys, but also in the larger journeys, because it's really not easy work to be, you know, salmon, to be kind of going against the grain. Um, so, you know, I, I, when I get off these podcasts sometimes, and, and I mean, I, I really, I, I love, you know, I've been listening to the heart mind app all the time and checking in with the, the podcasts that are coming through and stuff. And, it, it really does help me to then come center back internally to truth and to source so that I then can try to uh, get better about uh, actualizing on that intention uh, when it comes to the rest of my day in life. 
yeah, you, I, I mean, we're pretty fortunate that we can have that kind of life and, and opportunity. But the fact is now that is more available to more people because we're not the only ones thinking this way. And uh, back to that uh, seven and a half billion people, there's all kinds of uh, awakening going on around the planet. And you can create your own cohort wherever you are. Find people that you, I guess you could say, share practice with. And in this case, a practice of seeking towards maximum love uh, rather than maximum money while doing, uh, having a sense of fulfillment and, and uh, being creative and, and pulling things off. Like, that's a human impulse, I think, for, certainly for a lot of us. I like mm-hmm. being productive. I, I like, uh, I like uh, getting, getting things done. Whether it's in a garden, which is a perpetual cycle, you can pull all the weeds you want, they're coming back next week. Um, or or it's, it, you play that out through a business where you feel like you're producing something that uh, matters to others. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. uh, what it's really, uh, one thing that we need to, I mean, what's really important to me, and it's, I'm quite involved in it with the kind of work that I do for Love Server Remember Foundation through Ramdas.org, through the podcast network, Be Here Now Network, uh, and what I see that is so exquisite is the interconnectedness that is created through, uh, you're talking about purpose, through, a, through our common purpose. Uh, and, and I'm finding that there, the cross-generational interconnectedness is amazing and um and uh you know we've been working the foundation been working with uh jared's company for for quite a few years now and and that's a primary thing is to uh bridge these generations and then that interconnectedness is a very valuable asset and one that uh you know i'm i'm really proud of the kind of work that uh, we're involved with that we feel in our little corner is making a difference yeah, yeah. so but i think how the, lucky we are how yeah yeah for sure for how, sure but but everyone to, to, to be able to no i was just going to say everyone everyone has that possibility i mean you were yes. saying there's seven and a half billion people whatever it is uh, the advent of, of, of course, the Internet makes it yeah. extraordinarily possible. No matter, you don't have to have a tremendous amount of money. Whatever you're using, whatever your work is, whatever your attitude is that you bring to it can make a difference. It doesn't have to be a billion-dollar uh, bet placed on a, you know, right. on a new tech company. That's right. Well, how lucky we are, the two of us on this call with gray hair, uh, that we get to have intergenerational relationships. And this is not, it's, it's, it's very recent development that the generations got separated. Uh, younger people don't see death anymore. They don't see elders, really. They don't live with them. We don't. And uh, now that we've, 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 got to, we've got to recreate that. And... Uh, I, I'm right now, I'm, I'm at Hollyhock, uh, you, you, you guys know about it, Educational Retreat Center on Cortez Island in British Columbia, and we're hosting a bunch of environmental activists. Now, they're coming here for their inner well-being and rejuvenation, but also for making relationship and connecting with each other and being smarter and making strategies and going forth in the world and work on the things they're passionate about. And the fact that I get to participate in these kinds of events mm. and be, a, be valued in some way and be able to uh, just be in the mix and have the vitality of that, I know that this is a better way, <laughs> this is a better way to live. And, and Raghu, I also want to ask you, like, I never went around and asked people if they'd be my mentor. That was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. These days, it feels like they're training it in elementary school or something. <laughs> it's like a get out. It's like people like I, I'm looking for a mentor. You know, like that's that's inspiring. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's especially especially as um as as men, you know, I, I can just I can just speak. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're kind of we we turn eighteen, we go off to you know wherever college or or some other adventure work, and you're kind of you know it all, right? You're expected yeah. to kind of yeah. to figure to know it all, and and this thought of like passing the torch or some kind of uh, lineage, um, I don't know. We don't do a great job of it over here in the West um, with the passing that. So I I think that you know, a, a, a realization, uh, that's, that's occurring is, uh, is that need for connection to the other generations. I mean, I, I really crave it. It's funny. Most of the people that I'm, that I'm very tight with, uh, are, you know, 30, 20, 30 so years older than me. Old fogies. Um, <laughs> Good. I got, I've got a chance. It looks like I got a chance to get in that game with you. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that was one of the things I loved when I when I first came to Social Venture Network, too, was some of the support there. I mean, yeah. we'd sit in men's circle and there's a women's circle as well. And there's also an inner, you know, a, a circle for for men or women. But when I'd sit in men's circle and I and I sit there and it's going around and we're, we're sharing these kind of the biggest failures right in our life or uh, some really um, uh, deep you know, things that maybe we haven't shared with anybody and, and it's going around the circle and there's, you know, the guy next to me is a, a CEO of a few hundred million dollar company. And, you know, this, the guy next to me is a, a media mogul and when we're all sharing the same stuff and we got the, you know, we're age span is 50 years, uh, you know, role doesn't matter. Uh, wealth doesn't matter. We're just seeing each other as, as Ram Dass likes to say, as, as kind of souls, not as these roles yeah. that we've come into, you know, and, right. uh, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Right. There's uh, be, before we uh, close, we're getting close to the uh, to the end of our show. Uh, but I think there's something important that I, I want to read uh, from the book, uh, where you say we are still in the very early years, obviously, of making this transition to that we've been you've been talking about. I see how successful. The forces of domination and power to the few have been. The rapid overhaul of our economy is a moonshot endeavor. Success is not guaranteed, but we have to try. More people with high ideals need to go into the financial world to bring a new ethic and vision about what really matters. Any of us called from within to do so should give that initially quiet voice our time and attention and cultivate it. Money must be realigned with positive long-term outcomes. This re- that remains a dangerously under-tested solution. Consciously choosing one direction is the root of a meaningful life. Making big choices is, w- is one of the deepest privileges of existence. If the clean money revolution succeeds in building a truly regenerative global economy, it will be because of individuals who have heard this call and chosen self-inquiry, love, purpose, and courageous action. That sort of says it all, Joel. Hey, man. I'm inspired. I, 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 nothing <laughs> yeah. else I can say. <laughs> but I think it goes, you know, and it goes beyond just going into the financial world. I think it goes into, like yeah, I said before, you go to your job and you're in a meeting and somebody brings up, something that uh, is advantageous, ad, perhaps advantageous to the company, but completely taking advantage of uh, taking advantage of a sector of our population that would be hurt by this. Yeah. I think, yeah, you've got yes. to be courageous and you've got to speak up. It doesn't have to be huge things, just little things. Especially those of us that have the privileged that we can be mobile and we can make other choices yeah, like that. Right. It's, it's, in, yeah. it's inexcusable to, to have that and not have the integrity to live your values. Right. Yeah. And I, I, yes, I'm glad you're correcting me because many people are not in that privilege and the, the idea yeah. of being able to move sideways from one job to the other is not um, possible for whatever reason. Uh, and there are many reasons. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, it's that's that's well, probably and, and the most difficult conundrum of this whole conversation. Well, I I just say let's make a fair taxation system and let's uh, 
put the right price on uh, exploitation of, of the planet's resources and of people. And these would not be hard to, f to change if we had the ability, you know, if, we, if we had the wherewithal to do that. I like to say that there is way more than enough money in the world to solve most every problem. Hmm. It's just about where it's directed and our intelligence about how it's being used. Hmm. Absolutely. That's wrong. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, I think we're in a dark period right now, and that may. Uh, what's that Leonard Cohn line? Within the there's a light through the crack. There's a light, you know, something oh, like yes. that. Yeah, it's a great line. But I think the light will uh, obviously we're, we've got to go through what we're going through. Through now. the cracks is where the light get it gets in. There you go. Thank you for that. We got to keep looking for those cracks. Yep, absolutely. Joel Solomon, thank you so much. The book is The Clean Money Revolution. And, oh, by the way, you all can help out the Be Here Now Network by going up and buying Joel's book through our Amazon affiliate, oh. which you just copy and paste. You do it too, Joel. We need help from everyone. Copy and paste. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And you'll see Amazon link. Can you copy and paste that up into your browser? Whenever you go to Amazon to buy anything, like I buy That's a lot of supplements. That's going to make me feel better. That's going to make me. It's going to make me feel a lot better about Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazon is is helping to support BeHereNowNetwork.com and the teachers and uh, being able to do what we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, that's my so. that's my Be Here Now tax. Yeah. <laughs> be here now. Be here now. Tax on Amazon. Exactly. <laughs> Get on that. Yeah, really. So, thank you for joining us, Joel, and uh, thank you, Jared Gagan Levy, for uh, coming and representing the generation again. <laughs> yeah, you missed by one day, but we're gonna let you in. Uh, oh, and love we'll, you too. And we'll see you all uh, next week. Be here now. Network dot com. And this is Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu. <laughs>